everybody, and welcome to another episode of Vet Chat. And today is a fascinating topic that we talk about. And it's something that is possibly not really given an awful lot of attention in many spheres. And I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Cummings, who heads up the behaviour team at Cats Protection. And of course, this episode is brought to you in association with the Feline Behaviour Conference, uh, which we, we have hosted on the site. And I dare say for, for many of us, whether you're, you're a vet, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a cat owner, we'll, we'll provide a, a hell of a lot of insight. Um, I know certainly from my experiences with cats, I've never been able to understand them. So hopefully, Daniel, you'll be able to shed some light <laughs> for me. Now, you know, obviously you've got a wealth of experience in, in animal behavior with your, you know, your past history with various different rescue organizations. Uh, but cat behavior is something that is potentially, you know, I dare say neglected by people. And, you know, you associate abnormal dog behaviors, you know, the barking, the running off in the park, the not wanting to go back on the lead, the chewing things that they shouldn't. And I am, of course, specifically relating to my own spackle <laughs> at this moment in time. Um, to, we have an, a fractious relationship. But t- tell me a bit about you know, cat behavior, you know, what, well, for a starter, you know, why does it interest you? And, and, and why do you think it is something that people maybe gloss over? Well, well, first of all, thanks for uh, having us on. But firstly, the, the thing that, that really interested me about cat behaviour and why I moved away from doing more dog behaviour, and pun fully intended, is that cats are very much almost the underdog in sort of the amount of maybe research that's gone into them, their understanding if you walk into uh, a uh, a pet store, you'll see a, a full array of dog products, but you'll see very little in the way of, of cat products. So it's almost a, not neglected, but a proper understanding of what cats are, how they function and how to give them good welfare, I think was always neglected. And, and I think it's one of the reasons that intrigued me, because how can we make more people help cats whether it's as vets vet nurses or as owners hard to have better welfare because i think they have overtaken them they're the most populous pet in the uk so there's more cats in in uk households than there are dogs which uh, some people think may find a bit surprising and i think it's fascinating i mean you know i i hold my hands up and, and you know the cats protection community can very much you know sort of um seek me out on this but i <laughs> through and through a dog person. In fact, I'm a vet who is allergic to cats, so it's always quite entertaining when I'm in the consult room and there's a long-haired domestic cat um, that the owner will insist is a Maine Coon. <laughs> and and I, I, I spend most of the consult sneezing all the way through. But, you know, cats for years have been lauded as having, you know, the human slave versus the owner of a dog who is, you know, an owner or a, or a parent and so on and so forth in, in modern terminologies. But is that... Is that just us blanket describing cats because of the behaviours that we, we naturally attribute to them? Um, or or is, that, is there something to be said for that? Are cats just better at training owners than dogs? I, I think it's really interesting. So I think all animals or, or pets, they're really sort of victims of, of anthropomorphism and, and giving them really human qualities. But I think cats more so than dogs. And I always sort of say... Most people don't say they don't like dogs unless they've had a previous bad experience. People say, oh, I don't like it because the dogs barked at me. But you'll get people that will sort of just really passionately hate cats without any sort of reason. Of course, uh, allergies and and things like that aside, there's some people that just will say, oh, cats are really spiteful and vindictive. And and not to go uh, too far on a tangent, but cats 
throughout history have had this really up and down thing where they were literally back in ancient Egypt worshipped as gods then they were persecuted a lot particularly through sort of the dark ages middle ages and now we're sort of coming around the, the other side of that I think because cats are less dependent on humans I think sometimes we can feel insecure and uh, we don't feel as as valued so almost people want to appease the the cat bear but it's just because cats are recently um less sort of recently evolved from their closest ancestors than dogs so dogs for for tens of thousands of of years more have evolved from their most recent ancestor whereas cats still share a lot of their behaviors with their most recent ancestor which is the african wild cat which still exists out in africa and actually if you if you look at your domestic cat you look at the african wild cat they share so much of the same behavior traits and, and things like that so it's safe to say that, you know, we're still nowhere near understanding cats to the same extent that we are dogs, at least as a sort of general population. And yeah. you've probably got a distinct advantage over many of us. But, but what is it, obviously, you know, you, you deal with all kinds of cats, certainly as vets we do, and, and there's that inherent sort of you know you can hear the box hissing in, <laughs> in the waiting room outside but of course you know these are animals who have taken out of a nice warm cozy comfortable environment into you know a, a um an alien environment where they're stuck inside a box there's loads of smells of dogs and they can't get away from anything so Absolutely. You know, as vets we're instantly seeing cats who are <laughs> heightened to, to their environment so in terms of you know, I look at it as a vet saying, you know, what can we do better to to engage cat owners and, and to help them and indeed ourselves to understand better about their behaviours? Well, well, I think that's really important. It's the, it's the understanding rather than the doing. People always want practical tools, but a lot of the time it's just understanding what makes cats different from dogs. So, for example, cats are not inherently sort of social animals and, and people have a big issue with that with cats and, and conspecifics or other cats compared to dogs and, and other dogs. But the other big thing is how territorial they are and how dependent they are in that context. So, when you remove a cat from a house, that's very different from taking a dog out of the house. A dog is very accustomed and copes better with being moved, whereas cats are these territorial animals. That as soon as they are removed from their environment, that is what is sort of holds them together and gives them their structure. So then, like you say, they're put in the carrier and moved to this completely um, alien environment. Weirdly, we think obviously there is that element with cats and and as they've evolved, they have been both predator and prey. So whilst they've been out sort of chasing hunting things, they're solitary independent uh, hunters. So they need to keep themselves well protected. So that's why more often than not, their default is to run away and keep themselves safe. So what we need to communicate with owners is just how much more stressful. It's not just because vets are poking and prodding and doing terrible things to cats. It's just the very nature of being removed from their environment. But there's lots of stuff we can do. And, and as vets and vet nurses it's sort of encouraging uh owners first of all just to take cat behavior seriously but to sort of teach them valuable skills so most people yourself probably included when you get a dog you'll try and do some kind of lead training or harness training and get them used to that people don't do the same with the cat they don't think of what is essential training well what's essential training for a cat teaching them to like the cat carrier so most of the cats by the time they end up in your vet table they've been manhandled they've been forced in the cat carrier they've been put in the car so they're already stressed as much as anything before they get to you. Whereas actually, if we can remove one of those elements of stress and we can 
train them to to get the cat carrier and be comfortable in the cat carrier that actually makes it a lot easier and uh, not to make a, a very cumbersome segue that was one of the sessions that was covered in the behavior conference that uh, Sarah Ellis did for us is is sort of training the cat to voluntarily without coercion or, or forcing it to go into the cat carrier and there you have a cat that is instantly starting the day the vet visit less stressed and, and we always say is going to the vet one stressful experience or is it a number of different stressful experiences and if we can t- start to take away a few of those stressful experiences overall the cat is a bit calmer and it makes it a lot easier yeah absolutely and i think you know that is something you know as you say it's often not you know one thing that fixes everything but it's so many little changes absolutely i, I want to come back to something you touched on a bit earlier and, and it is something that fascinates me because you've got you know, like you say, you walk into a pet store and there's swathes of dog <laughs> environmental enrichment materials and so on and so forth. And we automatically associate, you know, if you if your dog's got this issue, that issue, if your dog wants to kill the postman every time he puts it through <laughs> the door, uh, you know, this, 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 this and this. But as you say, the cat behaviours and cat, you know, I dare say in a lot of cases, anxieties are very differently manifested um you know where i speak to people and like you know when when the postman comes the cat disappears upstairs and is hid under the bed um, and you know there's all of these different things that we we associate with helping dogs but in in terms of you know environmental enrichment for cats how key and important is that to to make you know a a well-adjusted pet cat you know what 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 things can people and should people be saying rather than actually you know this is something nice to have you know what what are the almost the essential elements to to help with that I think a, a, a really great way to look at it is what can we do in the environment the the two big things and this is something to look at in vet pens and catteries and rescues is hiding spaces and levels or off the ground access so there have been uh, studies on this i think it's either 2007 or 2009 rachel casey looked at hiding enrichment and they found that cats that had something physically to hide in so like a box or cats protection cell the the hide and sleep something that they physically hide in they will be less stressed and display less hide seeking behaviors so i know obviously sometimes with uh, vet pens what you get is the the blanket put over the um pen door which is better than nothing but if the cat doesn't physically have something to go inside that will affect the cat and make them more stressed similarly in the home environment having lots of hiding opportunities but the other big thing is cats love to get off the ground whenever they're stressed or uncomfortable and you probably if anyone's listening with cats they might spook themselves they'll jump up on the windowsill or run up the stairs if you then take that to scenarios where you've maybe got two cats living in a home and they don't really like each other what often happens is they're to pass each other a lot at ground level whereas say for example you have a hallway and you upturn a box to create this temporary platform if one cat can hop up in the box they feel more comfortable the other cat walks is past you sort of lose that sense of, of conflict and the other big things that the two big things um that we like to encourage people is uh, enrichment feeding and uh toy play so enrichment feeding for almost any behavior problem we encourage that so that's little puzzle feeders you can buy puzzle balls you can use snuffle mats you can use it with wet food and that is sort of the cat figuring out how do i get food from this source and that by far and away is helpful and again there's another interesting paper on it i think isfm put out about uh, food puzzles and and well-being and then the other side is, is toy play so a lot of people will say oh my cat doesn't really play or there are toys there 
Um, cats have a real innate desire to play, but sometimes we don't provide the outlet. As we say, get a really good fishing rod toy. And these are often ones you don't see in, in pet shops. So you want a long handle and a really long like fishing line and then sort of a clump of feathers at the end. And then you're going to tease it about like it is a prey so your cat can pounce and jump on it. Then you may have somebody comes into your... Uh, you're practicing they say oh my cat really likes to grab around my wrist or grab around my ankle and and have little nibbles with its teeth and again that's a different kind of prey play behavior in which case getting a kickaroo toy or advising them to get a kickaroo style toy which just gives them an outlet for these behaviors because what people don't appreciate is that these are inbuilt into cats so if you don't have an appropriate outlet for it that outlet might end up being yourself if they've not been uh, socialized well or, or brought up well yeah, and do you know what? It's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think, you know, flippantly in the conversations that we have, invariably it's with pet owners um, who um, their cats are maybe a little bit on the, the wrong side of obese. Uh, okay. and, and you sit there kind of think, you know, do you play with them? Um, and they sit there kind of go, you know, my cat doesn't play. Now, I find that one fascinating, and maybe you can shed some light on it for me, because I don't know any cats that wouldn't play. Is that because as, as humans we're not good at teaching them how to play or, or to enhance play with them when they're younger? And of course, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, you get people who, who adopt a cat later in life who, you know, it's, it's maybe the wrong time to be introducing play to them and they, they maybe never understood that. But, you know, how do, we, how do we go about getting our cat population better at that sort of play? Yeah, absolutely. With the slight caveat of, of cats with medical issues that may not want to play, for almost all cats, there will generally be at some level of desire of wanting to play. But again, it's just, and I, and I hit, it sounds a bit uh, weird to say playing the right way, there's an appropriate way to play. So for example, with those fishing rod uh, toys, like we we're saying, what people will often do is they will like dangle it right in front of the cat's uh, face. And the cat will either maybe oh, I'll paw a little bit at it or won't be interested. But the idea is that cats' play behaviours are replicated of their prey behaviours. And if you can imagine a prey species like a mouse isn't going to run up to the cat and dance in front <laughs> of the cat's face, that's not going to be engaging to them. So that difference, and you sort of see if you've got a cat that doesn't really play, if you start teasing the toy about maybe three, four foot away and just sort of slowly moving it, stop it, moving it, stop it, hiding it behind something, much more like a, a prey species move, you'd see a cat at least look. And then once you have a cat that starts to look, then you've got the next step you can build into you sort of doing that until it sort of pounces. And as again, it is finding the right um, things. Uh, I heavily encourage people to get ping pong or beer pong balls. And especially <laughs> if you've got wood floor or laminate floor, because they just like bounce around for ages. And people often buy those sort of like big chunky cat toys. And the cat sort of tries to move it and it doesn't really move. That's not exciting. Whereas it moves the ping pong ball. Oh my God, this is moving all over the place. It's the movement that really stimulates um, the cats. So a, a lot of the times it can take a bit of encouragement. Sometimes if cats have been maybe punished for offering behaviors, they'll be less likely to offer behaviors. But that's something they can be sort of trained out of. But certainly uh, in the, the socialization period, that two to eight weeks uh, of the, the cat's uh, life, we really encourage people to introduce novel stimulus-like toys so they start to be accustomed to sort of different things. But yeah, as, as humans, we can do a lot more encouraging cats to play, but we ourselves first need to understand why we're doing it, how it functions, and then we can better help the cats with it. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, really, because you do you do look at it and you sort of, you know, there's this assumption, isn't there, that you know, in order to 
enhance an environment that an animal lives in you need to be spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds on toys and playthings when in actuality you know a ping pong ball and a, a <laughs> string on the end of, with some feathers on it does the job and, and i think you know there is that barrier to break down that that you know environmental enrichment doesn't have to cost a fortune and those of you that of course watch blue peter um, <laughs> the kid will be at a distinct advantage uh, in that circumstance now Another thing I want to pick your brains on is multi-cat households. And you, again, you touched on it earlier saying, you know, look, there's two cats that, um, that don't get on in a household. And, you know, there's this, this stereotypical vision in society of the, uh, the crazy cat household <laughs> uh, where, you know, there's someone living there and there's 27 cats in the same room and so on and so forth. But of course, for the vast majority of people, they're single cat households. There's some that are two and three cat households. Now, we've touched on the fact that cats are inherently solitary animals. So, so how does having a multi-cat household work? You know, is it, is it something that is to be encouraged? Is it something that's to be discouraged? Or is it something that can be, right, okay, we're in this circumstance, so how can we make the best of this uh, situation? Well, that's a, yeah, absolutely a, a massive area. We could almost come back and, and, and do a separate uh, talk just on that. But in, in summary, it's super complex. So cats are inherently asocial animals, but we know they can form social bonds with other cats. Uh, people often refer to sort of feral colonies, but the makeup of feral colonies is quite specific. So you'll have uh, related, primarily related females, uh, males often on the periphery and only a couple of generations. So it's very different from a home environment where you're having a cat from source A and cat from source B that you're, you're bringing in and throwing together. So we say in the sense of when we're saying that they are inherently a social solitary, their welfare is not diminished by not having a companion. So uh, is it rabbits? And in some countries, they're insisting that they must live with uh, another conspecific. That is not the case for cats. The problem with cats is that they are often very stoic and don't show a lot of stuff. So you have some homes where cats are living together, love each other, they're curling up, they're having a great time. Uh, you've small, well, as a relatively large portion of households where cats are sort of showing agonistic behaviours. I think in the PDSA poll report for 2018, it was about 21% of owners identified actual conflict. But then you have this massive grey area of cats living together that probably aren't actually happy with each other, but are tolerant to varying degrees with it because cats aren't necessarily like dogs you're not going to get the, as much of the the growling and, and the barking and things like that when we see cats hiss or swipe or fight with another cat that is like the absolute peak um the the top of it and there's lots of stuff underneath it so what you'll get sometimes in homes is is cats that are developing house soiling issues or cats that will spend a lot of their time hiding away uh recently just before doing this call i was working on a behavior case two cats they weren't in conflict, but you could sort of tell that they weren't necessarily comfortable. They've recently been separated within the same household, and one of the cats is suddenly a lot more affectionate with the owner uh, than would be with the other cat. So it can cause a lot of problems, but often ones that aren't picked up on. So the big thing we sort of say to people is if you are looking to introduce a second cat to your home, you can't guarantee that they will like each other, and you need to do a real proper introduction process which uh, we have on our website cats protection introducing cats put that into google and it's sort of about doing a scent swapping process and, and doing a, a correct introduction and making sure you've got the territory set up one of the biggest things we get is people saying but the cats eat fine together and um, so you've got the cats that are fighting a lot of the other time but they'll eat 
together relatively close to each other. But that is in part due to the fact that access to the football is more valuable than their fear of, of the other cat. So it's like me, uh, I find going to the supermarket very stressful even before COVID, uh, but I do it anyway because I need access to that resource. And it's the exact same with cats. I may be uncomfortable with this other cat, but I need access to that resource. So they may look like they're eating beside each other fine, uh, to use air quotes, but actually it's causing them a little bit of stress to have to access that. And obviously we know stress is cumulative, so that can affect other behavior. So it's really complex. Uh, we very we, well, we pretty much never would recommend getting another cat to resolve a behavior problem. People often We'll go with that. Oh, my cats who are maybe aggressive type behaviors or household behaviors will get another cat. That will generally make things um, worse in, in most sort of circumstances. And something that, you know, again, you know, it's interesting to look at how we as humans approach things. And invariably, and I hold my hands up to this, you know, we look for <laughs> the easiest solution and, you know, the most uh, stress free solution from our own perspectives. And of course, one of the, the, the relatively recent dawns in, in medical management of things is these plug-in diffusers, like the Feliway diffusers and so on and so forth. Now, I just wonder on what your take is on these kind of things, because obviously, you know, anecdotally, when I speak to people, they go, oh, you know, I've plugged this thing in and it makes the world of difference to my cat. Now, how much of that is placebo effect and how much of that is, is, is real impact? And I'm, I'm never quite sure. But, you know, are these things a... Are they something that helps as a solution or do they simply mask underlying issues or do, do we not know? I think it's a, re a, a really interesting topic. I, I said this all the time. <laughs> it's all interesting. Uh, firstly, I should say Siva, who make Fellaway, do support uh, cats protection. So we appreciate that. In terms of the uh, behaviour cases, we generally would recommend using Fellaway in the, in the right circumstances. We do try and let people know that it's not a cure-all. And actually, I think if you read this on the literature, it says it's part of a, um, a solution you should seek behavior modification. And um, so it can be really useful in some circumstances. It can also be a bit detrimental. So oftentimes, maybe a cat's gone into the home environment and they've had a, the owners have struggled with an issue for maybe three or four weeks. And at some point, they've been advised to get a Feliway and the Feliway hasn't made a difference because the only thing they've done is, is buy a Feliway. Then four weeks later, they're, oh my goodness, we've tried everything. Uh, and by that, they mean they got the Feliway. And because Feliway hasn't worked, they now think, oh my goodness, this cat is unfixable in, in their words. So it can mislead people sometimes if, if they sort of think, well, this is supposed to be the, the fix and this isn't working. Conversely, on the other side, a lot of the times cats go into home environment and they just need to be left alone for a couple of weeks. But as humans, we want to be really um, active and we want to be, oh my goodness, I need to try and, and make this cat feel more confident. So actually, People thinking, I'm going to run through this four-week course of a pheromone diffuser uh, actually gives just the cat space to naturally come out. Whether the, the pheromone diffuser makes a difference or not, it just gives the owner time to step back a little bit and um, give the cat a sort of time to, to, to get together more confidently. So certainly when it does work and when it is effective, uh, it does seem to make a difference in, in making the cat feel <laughs> more confident so we wouldn't necessarily say it masks it but we would want to maybe be aware of what the trigger is if we can so it's not a case of um the cat is uh fearful of fireworks we can just keep plugging in the fairly way 
what we should be doing is de- desensitization and counter conditioning work around the fireworks as well as having the Philly way on. But I think sometimes, and certainly in my experience, both with cats and dogs, people are a lot more keen to buy something than to take time to take the action. I'm sure you'll probably find that a lot with the, the medical side of things. If, if they can go, I could do desensitization and counter conditioning, or I could buy this product, they will generally tend to go more towards the, the buying the product. So sometimes people can become more over-reliant. So from a human psychology point of view, it's sometimes more tricky than, again, as most things are, uh, than just the, the cat point of view with it. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. And of course, you know, I guess one of the big reasons that you know we're, we're here to chat is that obviously as cats protection, you are hugely involved with rehoming cats. Um, and of course, that then throws a whole new uh, <laughs> spanner into the proverbial works, um, because of course, invariably, people are adopting cats that you know they maybe know nothing about their history and you know what what's gone on in their past uh, and that side of things. Now, what what can we do? Obviously, you've touched on the fact that basically not diving head into the cat's <laughs> uh, on day one is always useful. What what would someone who's adopting a cat what bits of advice would you give them in order to gradually get to understand that cat and their you know their various isms as we we of course have ourselves as humans what what bits of advice would you give them to that that first month there's there's lots of really easy steps and again you could apply this across multi-species not just uh, cats Uh, and again this is advice hopefully vets and vet nurses can give out firstly less is more a hundred percent that is the case whenever uh, a cat is rehomed we recommend that they go into what we call a sanctuary room so a room that's been uh, set aside in the house it's got all the cats resource in it and they're sort of left in there for a couple of days to get familiar with the environment sometimes going into the home environment and all of a sudden being let loose everywhere and there's people constantly walking around and banging pots in the kitchen can be a bit overwhelming so giving them that few days to settle into the the sanctuary room less is more having the resources set up ahead of time so you have your hiding place uh, and you have your off the ground access you have your football and your water bowl and again learning what works so we know that cats like to have the food bowl separate from the water bowl and the water bowl separate from the litter tray and the litter tray separate from the food so again having that all done ahead of time so when the cat comes into it one of the worst things that that is a little bugbear of mine is is people uh, pick up a a cat or again a dog uh, and they go oh i forgot to get this from pets at home so then they're walking into pets at home with a cat and a cat carrier that's just met this person for like the second time it's really noisy in the shop and they're going around picking up things and then they're going home by the time your cat's got home it's it's super stressful and the other really important thing is from a human point of view the cat doesn't know that they're being rescued so whilst a home environment is going to be theoretically and hopefully better than a a pen environment just for the very least the amount of space cats are territorial so as we mentioned Uh, you're going to have a change in territory. So that is going to be inherently stressful. It doesn't matter if you've got the nicest home in the world and you're the nicest owner. Now, of course, given if the cat's had good socialization, has got good genetics, then actually the cat's going to adopt fairly quickly, but it's still to be assumed that the cat will be undercomfortable. So those little steps, uh, starting to introduce enrichment feeding nice and early when you can, because it gives them confidence in exploring their environment. So they go, oh, actually, if I interact with this, good things happen. So this isn't one big, scary, terrifying place. It's actually good things can um, can happen with that. And the really big thing uh, is not having visitors in the first few days. So a lot of the time people bring a cat home, maybe not this year, um, but people sort of <laughs> want their friends and family to come around. And it just 
uh, terrifies the cat and or the dog uh, too much. So we say, leave that for a week or two, let the cat settle in, and then gradually introduce other people as well. So essentially, the COVID world is not a great year for social interaction, but a great time to adopt a cat. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That uh, people, the cat just uh, tucked away. People aren't allowed to come uh, to the house. That's exactly uh, for a cat coming into the home is, is perfect. And one of, one of the big things that's always sort of been of interest to me, and, and I have to say I've, I've found myself drawing a blank regularly when people talk to me about it, is the house cat versus the outdoor cat. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of that is people's own, you know, that, when I look at my own interactions with pet owners previously and, you know, they've, they've turned around and said, you know, my old cat got run over, so I don't want to let this cat out. And you can fully understand that, uh, that reticence on their behalf. But it, is there anything out there as evidence to suggest that having a house cat is deleterious to, to behavioral sort of interactions with cats? I don't think there's necessarily research on the, the behavior side of things. And I think that's more in part because uh, research in cats is only starting to really uh, build up heads of, heads of steam. I would certainly know certainly from uh, things like exercise level point of view and from even just real basics like claw maintenance, uh, having outside access makes a, a lot of difference. And, and certainly cats protection, we do say it's... Um, uh, giving cats the option to go outside is better, not forcing them to go outside if they don't want to, don't make them, but unless there's a medical reason, like if they are deaf or blind or have other issues, to give that cat choice and option to go uh, outside. Now, me, myself, I'm not an anxious person. Uh, I let my cat go outside and I'm always sort of stressing that there's going to be issues with other cats and uh, traffic and I think it's because I see so many of, of things and, and, and hear so many things but I still let my cat out because fundamentally she enjoys being outside and that sort of helps meet her needs in the terms of uh, the need to display natural behavior she she goes around she maintains this sort of home range and she likes to explore uh, there's lots of, of little things to, to consider to keep the cat safe one of the big things as we say is, is keeping the cat indoors uh, at night time because that's probably when they're going to be more likely in, in traffic accidents. And the UK, uh, if you've got listeners worldwide, it might be different, but in the UK, we don't have natural um, predators of cats. Uh, so we'll have foxes may pick over remains of a cat that was hit by a car, but it's very unlikely, very few incidences of actually foxes predating on, on cats. Um, and the other big thing is, is around roads. I, I forget the study, so I can't reference it directly, but there was a study whereby they found that actually roads that were fast within frequent traffic cats were maybe more likely to get themselves in in road traffic accidents some people think i've got a busy road out the front it's not suitable for the cat but if the traffic's pretty constant and it's not really a fast moving road then actually cats respond to that better than maybe having used to accessing a road and crossing a road and cars only come past every infrequently and then all of a sudden a fast car comes past and, and that struggles them so we would really, we do encourage where possible or it's safe to do so to do that. If you are not letting your cat out uh, with the stuff we were talking about earlier, enrichment feeding, puzzle feeding, it's really, really important that you increase that. I say do it with cats that have outside access, but even more important with cats that have inside access, because otherwise they will be understimulated. You might start getting frustrated related aggression, must, might start getting misdirected predator aggression, or you might just get a cat that's a little bit depressed. And obviously, to cover all the admin side of things, we do say even with indoor-only cats, uh, getting them uh, microchipped and making sure that they're treated regularly for parasites as you would an outdoor cat because you, you can still have um, uh, parasites transferred in. 
and also your cat if they sort of sneak out someday uh, and they're not microchipped it may be harder for them to to come back yeah i can certainly remember a few conversations over the years where people have had entire female cats uh, oh, yeah. have had litters and I, but she's a house cat I was like well she quite clearly <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah there's always that sort of awkward uh, Virgin Mary moment with their pet cat yeah uh, Michael conception so I think you know there's there's so much we can go into I mean literally I'm, I'm finding myself ticking all of my my own sort of <laughs> uh, insight boxes as we go on here but what what can people uh, anticipate getting from from the, uh, the the feline behavioral conference you know what, what 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 will they take away from that as a course well I think fundamentally one of the biggest things is just that consideration of areas they maybe haven't considered before so we've got um, some modules the most, what I think is one of the fundamentally most important ones is is how cats learn, and particularly as as professionals, I often think how can we maybe work with an animal if we don't fully appreciate how that animal learns. Also, from an owner's point of view, it's, it's just interesting. Um, but it sort of covers what we sort of say we've made it quite open and accessible. So there's things around that. There's around uh, the uh, cats in multi-cat environments, sort of the big hot topic issue, uh, frustrated cats and sort of medical issues and things like that. So it's a real sort of grounding in cat behavior and just almost getting people to switch their brain into that thinking. So it's is taking yourself out of that um, way of how you view cats and actually starting to think of them as an animal that has welfare needs and has behavioural consideration. So some of the conversations are quite theoretical, others are quite practical, like, for example, the cat carrier training that Sarah Ellis did, the working with frustrated cats and frustrated owners is uh, a really big one as well. And then at the end of the last session, we have a really interesting uh, discussion panel, and it was about sort of uh, cats in the 21st uh, century and beyond, the future of cats. And it looks at all the things, the classic ones that come up in, the veterinary side of things like brachycephalic cats, also the ethics of um, cat ownership, and obviously the big one that's coming up, particularly in Australia and New Zealand, is cats and wildlife and things like that. Covers up cat cafes and things like that. So again, I think lots of practical things to take away, but I think fundamentally the biggest thing that we're sort of seeing from people is they're coming in, they're switching on, and they're going, oh my God, there's a whole world of stuff that I've maybe not considered and it's something that we know from sort of surveys with vets recently is that they want more access to behavior knowledge so it's something that we are sort of trying to um, provide so obviously we've got the the recordings of this one that I think are still available on the, the webinar vet but all being well pandemic dependent we'll hopefully run it again next year with two streams so we'll have that different level so like this year that's kind of introductory available for all level but also this sort of maybe more in-depth stuff as well yeah and it is like you know like you say it's it's an area that is i think grossly neglected is probably overkill but it is something that <laughs> we don't really we don't really assign and attribute much attention to and you think actually there's so much we can do to to improve not just the outcomes, but our understanding of what drives these things. Say, you know, we have a lot more insight into those dogs, but you know, as that cat population grows, then you know, veterinary interactions are, are going to be vastly increased proportionately with cats compared to dogs. And so, I think you know, that's it, it's something that will benefit not only pet owners but also veterinary professionals to to be able to manage those conditions and situations better. So. Daniel, it's great to chat. I know, for one, I'm certainly looking forward to, to uh, digesting some of the content <laughs> and 
taking yeah. myself into into these consultations with with cat owners <laughs> slightly slightly more um more, more sort of well informed to turn around and say oh yeah i heard this wonderful thing <laughs> let me tell you this is going to change your life um and, and and i think you know certainly we appreciate all of the efforts that you're putting in because you know ultimately as veterinary professionals we're a tiny part of of a pet's ecosystem the much more important component of that is that pet parent the pet owner however they identify themselves you know that 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 our job is simply to help them to facilitate you know a happier and healthier cat so thank you for all the work you're doing um and yeah i look forward to seeing all of the content no, it's, it's, it's great and, and sort of being able to come on and just uh, share hopefully the, the enthusiasm for it. But uh, like you say, it's sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you sort of go and, and you check it out and then you go, oh, oh my God, there's a whole world of stuff. And, and like you say, it's in our part, we sort of view it the same way that all the different stakeholders in the community, can we access them? So no, it's a, it's a real um, pleasure eh, to, to do the conference and, and I will say this unbiasedly that the webinar vet were, were absolutely wonderful to work with on it. Um, but also sort of this is as well sort of just a great opportunity to spread the message. And ultimately what we're looking for is happy cats and happy owners. So that's what we're working towards. Perfect. I think that's a, that's a fairly decent aspirational goal. So good luck <laughs> with anything. And, uh, and, and thank you for all that you're doing again. Uh, thank you. Thank you.